0: welcome to the journey church podcast we hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith if you would like to learn more about journey church you can follow us on facebook instagram and online at thejourneychurch.cc now enjoy the message man i'm excited about tonight if you're a note taker you're going to want to take notes um, most of us now, uh, there's very few of us who still actually write in books. Amen? There are very few of us that write in books. Sometimes we keep our notes in our phones. I, I see you, brother. And I love that. Every time. I don't know if you're drawing funny pictures of me half the time or you're writing those to, to her. But it's good, though. It is <laughs> Yeah, will we take notes in our phones or or we actually can uh, just take pictures of what's on the screen, Uh, that's an easy way. I learned that back when I I went and guest spoke for a youth ministry a couple years back. I said, y'all, come on, let's take some notes, man. And all of them pulled their phones out and started taking pictures of the slides. Makes it easy for posting on Instagram. Amen. All right. So. We're in this series called Rethink. We're actually wrapping this series uh, up, this Rethink series up. How many of you guys have been stretched during this series? Anybody been stretched during the series? It's been great, hasn't it? It's caused us to stretch and think differently. And just like I said at the beginning of the series when we started this, nine weeks, y'all, this I think this is the, official, the longest series I've ever done in my life. But nine weeks ago when we started, I said this, and I said it throughout it. And I said, listen, you do not have to agree With everything that I'm saying amen you are free to think for yourself you are free to choose to think for yourself for you to take the information and go man that's really good and to take the information and go man what was he smoking last night you know you can do that it's okay it's okay so we're in this series called Rethink, but check it out. The, the definition of rethink, we're going to go ahead and pop that up on the screen. This is what the definition of rethink is. It says to think again about something such as a policy or a course of action. Especially in order to make changes. Now, remember, we've been talking about rethink, this is this, the way of changing the way you think. And, and that word rethink is the exact same word uh, that we get in the Bible repent. When John the Baptist goes and he preaches before Jesus comes, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is, is at hand. You know, Jesus preached the kingdom, he said, Repent. He wasn't saying, Beg God for forgiveness. He wasn't saying, make yourself feel horrible about the things that you've done in your life. He literally was saying, metanoia, change the way you think. You know, we should be changing the way we think. We, we should be stretching ourselves to grow. And we've done that during the series. We've, re, real quickly, we've, we've rethought quite a few things. I said rethunk a couple weeks ago. Y'all remember that? I said, we rethunk it. They said, Pastor, I don't think that's how it is. It is tonight. We rethunk it. Amen? But we rethought So, yeah, amen. All right. And we rethought quite a few things. Uh, The first thing that we rethought was Jesus. We begin to change the way we think about Jesus. And we saw that Jesus isn't the good cop and God the bad cop, and Jesus didn't come to save us from the bad cop. Jesus and and, and God are one and the same. Amen. The Bible says that, that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He's the exact representation. He is the cookie cutter mold of who God is. If you want to know what God is like, He looks like Jesus. And that alone should start causing us to ask questions because if God looks like Jesus and God's always looked like Jesus and God's always going to look like Jesus, then there's a lot of stuff we got to begin to unpack, don't we? Come on. So Jesus didn't come to. To show us a gentler, softer side of God, Jesus came to show us the very heart of God. See, see, if you want to know what God would say about your situation, he would say Jesus because Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word took on flesh and became one of us and made his dwelling among us. If we want to know what God would say about us or say to us, he would say Jesus. Come on which then brought us to the next thing we began to unpack, and we spent about three weeks here on So listen, if you missed any of this, the messages, go back on the Journey, uh, uh, the, the Journey Church podcast. You can listen to them all there. They're usually uploaded on Sundays. You go check it out, or you can go to the website. You can watch it there, or you can go to Facebook, or you can go to YouTube. It's all there, amen? Go back and check it out. But we spent three weeks unpacking Scripture and helping pry pry away from Scripture. In other words, try to make a differentiation It's a big word, right, between Jesus and Scripture because because we don't worship this book. Amen? We don't worship this book. We worship the one this book points us to. Jesus is the Word of God, and these are the Scriptures of God that points to the Word of God. Come on, somebody. And so it's important to understand that. And we talked about how important it is to, to not read the text from a flat Perspective—that That is to not look at every single scripture and give it equal weight all the way through. Because if you do that, God comes out on the end being some homicidal maniac. Amen. And so you can't take it and make it all say that's who God is. What you see is a revelation, a progression of Israel coming to know who their God is and they're projecting this, and they're sharing this, and they're pointing to this, and they're saying, this is what he looks like. And then another one says, no, 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 that's not what he looks like. This is what." Do you know that the prophets don't even agree with one another sometimes about who God is and what God's like? Did you know that? Sometimes the prophets even counter some of the thoughts and thinkings that, that Moses had about God. It's true. Some of you are like, man, I need to be here for this series. It's online. Check it out. Then we spent time unpacking wrath, and we had this idea of what does wrath look like? Because if you're like most Americans, the first attribute that you give to God is not love, but wrath. If you grew up that way. And so as we begin to unpack the scriptures, we begin to go through scripture, we begin to see that, that wrath is, is really God's divine consent. That is to say that just like God has to divinely consent to you making your decisions to love him, he has also to divinely consent and to, for, for you to make your decisions, if it, even if it ends up negatively. You see, wrath has been shown. You see it in Romans chapter 1. You, you see it laid out several times where it says, and he gave them over to their minds. And the wrath of God was on them. And the very next thing tells you what the wrath of God was. It was giving them over. Over to their minds. You see, sin has its own consequence. Come on, church. I got some good stuff to hit on. So the more y'all talk, the quicker I go. Amen. Come on. Sin carries with it its own consequence, doesn't it? For the wages of sin is what? Death. For the wages of sin is death. It carries its own consequence. And for many of us, we've been brought up to think that we need to fear God, fear the devil, and fear sin, and fear all the different combinations that could work out that way. But you don't. You don't fear God because God is love. You don't fear the devil because he's defeated. And you stay away from sin because it's going to eat your lunch and pop your bag. You ever done that when you were little? I feel like that was a really old saying I just said. Was it? It doesn't make me feel any better that someone called me old right before worship. No names. she called me old anyways so 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 we talked about wrath and what wrath looks like wrath is is god loving you so much that he's going to allow you to make your decisions. You see, wrath is what we experience when we run across the grain of God's love. Anytime I'm running across the grain of God's love, I am going to experience God in a very different way. Have you ever had some, have you ever had a thought or or a projection of somebody, you were just convinced they were the way they were, they they didn't like you, they were out to get you somehow, and they show up to your face, and they're talking to you, and they're sweet to you, and they're loving you, but because you already passed judgment on them you got all these things running around in your head all these scripture writing in your head right about them and it creates anxiety and fear and worry and frustration on the inside of you and all they're doing is saying hi that's how wrath unfolds again you can go back and watch the message we spent two weeks on that talked about sin and about how sin is missing the mark That we want to attribute sin to all these different little pieces of fruit. This is sin and that is sin and this is sin and that is sin. No, no, no. That's the fruit of sin because sin is not walking in love. It's the Greek word hamartia or something like that. It means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It's like to miss the mark. Like when you pull the, the, the bow and arrow, you pull the arrow back and you fire it and it misses the target. Anybody ever played darts before in a bar? Maybe not a bar. Anywhere else? You ever played darts before? How many of y'all missed the target? All of us. I had a friend of mine who had a dartboard and he had a whole bunch of of cardboard around the dartboard and it had more holes in the cardboard than it did in the dartboard. He missed the mark. Homartia, he missed the mark. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is refusing to walk in love towards, hear me, church. It's refusing to walk in love towards yourself. Because when I don't walk in love towards myself, I put myself in compromising positions and situations that do damage to my own life. It's not walking in love towards others because when I'm not walking in love towards somebody else, I cut them off. Amen. I make faces at them. So I've been told. When you don't walk in love with somebody else, that's missing the mark. That's harm to you. And so then you're going to end up producing some kind of fruits. Come on, right? And then when you don't walk in love towards God, the same thing is you end up idolizing and worshiping other things money, people, sex, status. You see, sin is refusing to walk in the way that God has created you to walk, which is to walk in. Love. Right. Right. Then we went to the cross. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring this down. I have to tell you all this. I got to remind you about all this because where I'm going to go today, some of you are be like, mm, I don't know about that. But you got to hang with me. Right. Because some of the stuff I've been talking about, you're like, I don't know. By the time we get to the end of it, you're like, whoa, I really feel like my relationship with God is growing. So we talked about salvation and we talked about how this was actually, actually we talked about the cross and we talked about how the cross of God is not the point in, 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 in humanity in, in existence where God vents all his wrath and his anger and his vengeance upon Jesus. That was really meant for you. Right. It wasn't it, the cross is not about God saying, I love you but I'm really frustrated right now, so before I can really love you, I have to really vent that anger out to somebody. It's like looking and saying, I really want to give you a kiss, but before I do that, i got to punch him and him. and him. That, That's kind of what we've made the cross, and the cross isn't that. The cross is not God, the bad cop, punishing Jesus, the good cop, so that he can be the good cop in our life. The cross is the heart of God revealed at its most transparent moment. The, the cross reveals that we worship a god that would rather die for his enemies than kill his enemies that's what the cross is the cross is not god making jesus go to his death the cross is jesus saying let me show you what love looks like real love looks like this real love says we when we all use we all use this wording but we don't really mean it we say i love you to death we say, I love you to death. I love you to death. Not really. I just love you a lot. But, but Jesus said, I love you, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to love you to my death. And at that moment when humanity was putting its worst upon Jesus, he looks out across everybody and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them." Or like a good buddy of mine says the correct structure that is father, they're forgiven. Come on, that's good preaching. That's just review. Then we talked about salvation last week. We talked about salvation because a lot of times we, I got to slow it down. A lot of times we've been taught, we've been taught that salvation is really about what happens when we die. That salvation is destination-oriented. And salvation is not just destination-oriented, but salvation is relationship-oriented. As a matter of fact, you get the most out of salvation when you're walking in close relationship with God because the word saved, even the word saved does not mean saved from a fiery hot furnace. We're gonna talk about that place tonight. The word saved, it means it's the word sozo. It means to be saved, it means to be made whole. It means to prosper. So Jesus came to save us and bring about salvation to the entire world. And we talked about this last week. We said the reality is, is it's it's a done deal. He's brought salvation. To the world, And we looked at that in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. You can go check it out. It said, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Hear me, not reconciling himself to the world, but reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he's given us that very same message. And so salvation has been provided for every single person person walking on planet earth, that's the objective reality. I'm sorry, the objective truth. Objective meaning it's true whether you want to believe it or not. But listen to me. Where our role comes in, our part comes in, it's faith receives what has been done. That becomes our subjective reality. You see, when I put my faith in what Christ has done, then I am then a partaker of the divine nature. I am a partaker of the very thing Christ came to do. Amen? Everything Jesus did, he did once and for all when? 2,000 years ago. Is Jesus being crucified again? No. Is Jesus being buried again? No. Is Jesus being resurrected to life again? No. No. It was done, it's made available, and you can choose to participate and experience the life that Jesus said he came to give in John 10, 10, when he said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. We talked about salvation. This week, we're going to rethink the afterlife. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. We're going to rethink the afterlife. We're actually going to rethink a little bit about hell. Amen. Okay. All right. So I thought so because I know a lot of us, we carry a lot of baggage about that. Come on, somebody. If we're honest, we carry a lot of baggage about hell, what we've been taught about hell. And what we're going to realize tonight is that what we've been taught about hell doesn't exactly line up with how it's portrayed or presented in Scripture. It has been what has been inferred. Or, or made us to believe. Watch, I'm going to show you something. Uh, check it out. October 29th, 2003, I was 23 years old. I was 23 years old. I was fresh out of Bible school, freshly married, come on somebody, teaching a bunch of kids, a bunch of teenagers, and I put together this message On October 29, 2003, this was my message. Ready? Top five reasons heaven will be a blast. Y'all ready for this? This is going to be good. This is what I said. This is what I taught these teenagers. Top five reasons heaven's going to be a blast. Number one, you get a new body. Come on, Jesus. We get a new body. This is what I taught them. We get a new body. Everybody's going to have six-packs. Maybe I exaggerated Maybe I exaggerated a little bit. I said you get a new body. Well, doesn't don't we have a resurrection body? Isn't that what the scripture says. So I took some liberties. We're gonna have six packs. Come on, somebody, man, because I've always wanted the six pack, right? All right, so we're gonna have new bodies. That's that's one reason, and then the next one is that we're gonna get a custom built mansion. Custom built mansion. Because this one translation of Scripture says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. That's what it said. We're going to get a custom-built mansion. Can I just tell you, that's not the translation. That's not the word that Jesus used. Like, Jesus wasn't walking around first-century Palestine talking about cribs. Can we just, can, you get a mansion. Yeah, you get a mansion. That's not what he's talking about. But, man, I sure preached it. I said, hey, it's going to be better than any crib you ever saw on MTV Cribs. I'll tell you how old this was, right? I said, man, it's going, to be perma- it's going to be personally decorated by the person who knows you the best. I was 23. It is a journey. You're absolutely right. It's a journey. But the sad thing is, is this is what was taught to me. Right? Now watch. Now, the third thing is we get to see loved ones and famous Bible people. That's what I said. Famous Bible people, <laughs> y'all could done better. And then I said, then, then there was number four. There was the No More's. I said, we're gonna have No More's. No More's. You know what No More's are? No more tears. No more sickness. No more crying. No more pain. No more suffering. No more. No more. No more. We're gonna have No More's. Well, that's that's true. That's gonna be a true statement. But, but, wait. Uh, Number five, the most important reason, was you were going to get to see God and Jesus. One amen on that? One. Y'all, one amen on that? You get to see the creator of the universe and the one who died for you, and one person said amen. Y'all laughed at the cribs and said amen. Y'all were quiet with God and Jesus. Y'all. What it is is y'all about that you're, you're waiting for this you're waiting for me to drop it. Here it goes, right? Because then, here's what. So I preached that on October 29th. Let me bring this over here a little bit. Not October 29, 2003. But then November 5th, the very next weekend, this was my follow-up. Top five reasons hell's gonna stink. I'm so glad I kept everything I've ever preached, y'all, because that brother was struggling. <laughs> fresh out of Bible school. Top five reasons hell is going to stink. Number one, no new body. You go to hell with the same body you died with. <laughs> All right, wait, 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 we're not done. Hold huh? on. And then I highlighted this. Y'all, listen, we're laughing about this. This is good. Y'all need to laugh now. This is good. So no new body. And then I went, into, I went in on these kids. These kids were so young, I was like, listen to me. This is what I mean. You're going to feel everything. Come on, because you ain't been taught this? Yeah, you have. Watch. Wait a minute. Here he goes. No new body. You're going to feel the flames melting your flesh, but your flesh never melts. Because isn't that what Scripture says? right? You're going to feel the worms eating your body because the worms never die. Isn't that what Scripture says? That's what Scripture says, right? That's what you've been taught. Never mind the fact that we're talking about physical worms eating a spiritual body or a spiritual body. Are they spiritual worms? What are they? Say, no one thought about that, did you? You were just told that and you are like, oh. So you're going to feel the flames. You're going to feel the worms eating at you. You're going to see your flesh because you're going to have eyes. You're going to see your flesh melting. And you have ears, so you're going to hear all the screaming. And you're going to smell all the flesh burning that never fully burns. It just smells. It just burns. I told kids this, y'all. This is teenagers. They need to be scared straight. They need to be scared straight. All right. Here we go. And then I said... (laughs) And then I said, you'll still have taste. You, you don't even remember me preaching this, do you? Do you remember me preaching this? It was bad. And then I said, you'll have your taste buds. That means you'll be able to taste your tongue melting in the sulfur in the air. That's the first thing. Number two. <laughs> number two. That was number one. Oh, I went in. Number two. Here, wait, wait, wait. Number two. Uh, there's no escape. You can't go nowhere. You're there forever. That's what I told him all by yourself, with everybody else. (laughs) Just make this, you gotta just go where it goes. And, And then I said, you'll never see loved ones or famous Bible people. And then I said, you'll be separated from God. And the last thing I said is, the worst part about being in hell It's knowing that you're there because you said no. That's what I taught. Now now wait, that's what I taught. Did I mention at the beginning of this series that you do not have to agree with everything I say? Wasn't that scary? It was scary. Now imagine me being 23 full of testosterone and pointing my finger. I was not a bully. Okay. (laughs) So let me tell you this. Let's go here, and we'll spend a few moments really kind of unpacking this, because this really does deserve its own, like, series that we may just unpack. But let me just do this flyover. This message, this message of a torture chamber, a place called hell, where you will experience at least the five things that I said, every one of those. That message, listen to me, that message is incredibly damaging. It's controlling, and it does not resemble the gospel message that Christ nor the apostles preached, and I'm going to show you. Do you know what hurts my heart? Is that we have a culture, particularly a church culture, that is so vested in hell so vested in this, and listen, some of y'all are thinking, well, do you not believe in hell? I'm going to get there. But we're so vested in hell that we live our lives in relationship with God out of fear instead of love. Because the gospel we were taught was God so loves you, love the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But. If you don't, then you go to hell where you spend eternity, separated from God. Listen to me. You can't be separated from God. Hear me. We talked about this last week. Where are you going to go that God is not? Where are you going to go that God is not? As a matter of fact... We say, well, God doesn't send people to hell. It's not God who sends people to hell. You send yourself to hell. You send yourself to this place. But, but the problem with that is, is who holds the entire universe? Who holds everything together by the power of his word? It's Christ. And so we have all these things that we, we have. And here's a sad thing. I talk, listen, I talk with other pastors. And other pastors struggle with this. They struggle with getting, they struggle with, with preaching a gospel that is eternal conscious, torment oriented instead of unconditional love oriented. And they struggle with it. And they never, they they can't share their view of hell that they carry Because culture is so ingrained in the church that the moment you say that maybe the hell that we've been taught, eternal conscious torment, isn't exactly the hell that was being referenced in Scripture, in the parables of Jesus. And maybe it's not actually even attached to any single account of the apostles preaching the gospel. It's not. But the moment you question that, you're immediately labeled a heretic. Because the gospel includes eternal conscious torment. So let me just kind of help you guys walk through some stuff. Take this for what it is. Don't hate me because I don't believe in the same hell you believe in. Amen. Don't hate me on that. Go, you're just a little weird. Okay, but just bear with me. Here, I want to show you something. Even from the mouth of Jesus himself. Now, did Jesus reference hell? Yes, we're going to get there, but not the way you think. Not the way you've been taught. So when Jesus declares his purpose on, on, on earth, I'm going to give you four sets of scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is what it says. Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 18, 19 says, And Jesus presents himself to the world. I want you to go read it for yourself. He finds the scroll, goes into the temple, finds the scroll, unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he begins to read it. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There it is to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he rounds it up with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus stood up and said, my mission, my mission looks like loving, healing, setting free and making whole. He did not say, and if you choose not to believe this, I'm going to cast you into eternal conscious torment. Let's keep going. I know this is a stretch. I know. Bear with me, guys. Again, you don't have to agree with me, but at least let me stimulate your thinking to go look at some things a little bit differently. Amen? And then if you have all these questions, like, because you will, by the time we get to the end of it, you're going to be like, I got way more questions than you gave answers. That's fine. We have this Wednesday night class called Digging Deeper. And it's a great place to show up. And you can show up in person or you can show up online and say, Pastor Chris, you got some explaining to do. And I say, come on, let's do it. Because you might teach me something. And I might have to get up here and say, excuse me, I was wrong. But you know what? If you've been coming to our church for any length of time. You know, I told you at the very beginning of this, if you're okay going to a church where the pastor will say something and five years later might have to come back and say, I don't necessarily think I agree with that, then you're in a good place. Because we're all on a journey. I don't have it all figured out. I have some things figured out. I don't have it all figured out. And neither do you. Amen. So. Luke 4, 18, 19, that's what you see. John three sixteen and 17, look what it says. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what, do you, go back, do you know what does not follow after does not perish or should not perish? It does not say uh, whoever believes in him should not perish for eternity in hell. It says shall not perish. Shall not be destroyed. Sin does a great job at doing what? Destroying. All right. But has everlasting life. We talked about eternal life, and we, we saw that. It's not going to heaven one day. When you, when you die, that includes, that's part of it, right? But that's not all it is because eternal life is, we saw last week, it's knowing Jesus Christ. It's knowing God. And then it says, in the next verse, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what church? Saved. All right. Matthew 9, verses 1 through 7. Let's go there real quick. I'm going to do some scriptures with you guys, but trust me, it's, it's needed. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And it says, and so he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. There you go. Keep going. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. your what, church? Sins are forgiven you. Right? And then they keep going. Keep going. It says, and at once, some of the, hear me, at once, some of the, what church? Scribes. Those are the religious note-takers. They're the writers. They're the ones who are scribing the pastor's sermon notes, right? So, at at some time, at at once, uh, and at once, some of the scribes, there it is, said within themselves, this man blaspheming. It says, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Think about what he is saying. He's saying, they're looking at him and saying, you're forgiving sins. That's wrong. And he says, why are you thinking it's evil to look at somebody and forgive their sins? He said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say arise and walk? But watch this boss move right here. Watch it. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said, then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Go next one. It says, and he arose and departed to his house. But do you know what he didn't add on the end of that? Now, be careful you don't go back into your life of sin, lest you be cast into the lake of fire or eternal conscious torment forever. Right. Watch. Keep going. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. 4 verse 17 says, and from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. Church, what's that word repent mean? Come on, somebody, y'all been paying attention for nine weeks. He said, From that time, Jesus began to preach and he and, and to say, rethink. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you understand that when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about a, a, a place far and far away. He's talking about a kingdom that begins to reside on earth. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're bringing heaven to earth. What Jesus is doing is bringing heaven to earth. Because you know what we did? We brought a whole lot of hell to earth. And he said, Rethink, change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is here. You see, the Jews and the, and the religious people at the time, they, they wanted the kingdom, but they wanted a the violent kingdom. They wanted a the kingdom that would come and overthrow the Roman kingdom because they've been oppressed. They wanted a the violent kingdom. He says, No, 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 but the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it looks like Jesus. That's what he went around preaching. Are you stimulated at all? Are you challenged at all? Good. Good. Y'all still love me? All right. I'm just making sure. Sometimes you got to make a little affirmation. Sometimes it gets lonely up here and it gets a little hot. <laughs> just saying. You see me do this a lot? Cooling down. All right, uh, let's talk about the apostles. If you go through the apostles, I got a link. I'll upload it on the, the Journey Church page, the family group tonight. I'll upload a link on every single instance, every single scripture uh, that references the apostles preaching Christ in the, in, the, in the book of Acts. Okay? Not a single one of those, not a single one of those preaching Jesus, not a single one of those preaching the gospel includes them talking about eternal conscious torment. It doesn't. I'm going to give you some examples. Go over to Acts chapter 10, verses 34. we will start there. Peter has this dream. Y'all remember when Peter was sitting on top of the rooftop and he goes into a trance and he was super hungry because he skipped breakfast, most important meal of the day. Y'all remember that? And then, he was sitting there and he saw all these animals come down and they came down on the sheet and, uh, and hear the voice of God. You remember, hear the voice of God and the voice of God said, arise, Peter, killing what? Eat. Remember that? And, and it happened three times. And Peter said, I can't do that. I'm not going to put anything unclean into my mouth. I've never eaten anything unclean. And then God turned around and said to him, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. Don't call what I've made clean unclean. And, and, and then right after that, these two men come up to him, and they say, hey, um, our boss, Cornelius, who's not a Jew, had this vision from God, and they asked for you by name. And then God says, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go talk to Cornelius. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all following me, right? So he goes to Cornelius' house, who was a Roman soldier, right? And he's there with Cornelius. Cornelius has his dream. And, and then Peter begins to preach. Now, I want you to see what Peter, this is a guy who does not, who's not a Jew, who doesn't follow the law, the covenant. He, he follows, he loves God. He does love God, and he gives to the poor. And the Bible tells us that his giving caught the attention of God, right, because giving is love. And it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says, And then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no what church? Partiality. All right, go keep going. Keep going. There you go. It says, but in every nation, whoever fears him, whoever reveres him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Stop back, 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 back. That'll mess up your theology a little bit. That'll mess up your theology a little bit. In every nation, whoever reveres him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. For the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Keep going. It says, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Keep going. It says how God, this is the message, this is the message, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went around. Who went around, church? Jesus, who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Keep going. It says, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and the Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Stop, stop. Who killed Jesus on the tree? Not God. Keep going. Him God raised up on the third day and showed uh, showed him openly. Keep going. Not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Keep going. It says, and he commanded us to preach. Listen, listen, listen. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who or, who uh, was ordained by God. Now, the word to be judged there, right? To be is italicized. If you go look in your Bible, which means it was added into there afterwards by the translators, they said, well, we need to make it to be that. But it says, he who was ordained by God to be judged, or who was ordained by God, judge of the living and the dead. Keep going. It says, to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Keep going. And those of the circumcision were believed, uh, who believed, were astonished because uh, many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak in tongues. That's that spooky stuff, right? It's not spooky. But for they heard them speak in tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? They welcomed them. Remember, we talked the difference between welcoming in and receiving, right? Welcoming in. And then look what it says. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. Do you, what's missing from that whole thing? There was never a mention where Peter said, now, Cornelius, after I've laid this all out to you, if you do not receive it, you're going to spend eternity in hell. It it wasn't part of the message that they were preaching. See, this is where we go back to. We make salvation destination oriented instead of relationship oriented. This is what they're preaching Go back to, uh, go over to Acts chapter 13. I'm going to try to get this. I don't want to, I don't want to, this is, you got to hear it, okay? So, y'all still with me? Say amen. Y'all with me? All right, hear me. Acts chapter 13, 38 and 39. Paul, he goes and he preaches and he says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that uh, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Verse 39, and by him, everyone who believes is justified from all the things which you could not be justified trying to earn your salvation from God. That's it. Paul's message of the gospel of of Christ was we're preaching this guy named Jesus who has forgiven all of your sins. What did Paul leave off there? And if you do not believe this, you're going to go and spend eternity in hell. Hell is not exactly how we've been taught. It is. Acts chapter 14, verses 7. We'll start there. I see that number at the bottom of the screen. I'm ignoring it. All right. Acts chapter 14, because I got a little bit more than we're going to rock. All right. Acts chapter 14, verses 7. We'll start there. It says, and they were preaching the gospel there. The good news, it says. They were preaching the gospel there. Keep going. It says, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting and cripple, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Watch, watch. It says, this man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Watch this. Said with a loud voice, stand up straight up on your feet. And then he leapt and he walked. Keep going. Now when the people saw that, What saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in Laocenean language, it says, (laughs) it's there, Um, the gods, this is what they said. When they saw what Paul did, they they immediately said, the gods have come down uh, uh, to us in the likeness of men. Watch. Watch. It says in Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was good at speaking. Go. It says, and then the priest of Zeus the temple of Zeus, right? the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, they ran in among them and cried out. And I got really small. All right. It's all right. All right, and and saying, he says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things. We should repent. You should rethink, turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the seas, and all the things that are in them. Watch this, watch who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Going back, divine consent. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good. Watch this. This is, this is huge. He did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And, these, and with these sayings, listen, listen. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing them. They got even more excited about what they were hearing, and and it was hard to stop. And it says, and then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, having persuaded the multitudes that they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. How many? they, They got him good. They got him good. It says, however, the disciples gathered around him and he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derby, uh, to Derby. It says, and when they had preached the what church, the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. And when they uh, yeah, strengthening the souls, of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must we must through uh, we must through many tribulations into the kingdom of God. In other words, you see, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth doesn't come without some pain. It doesn't come without some pain. Do you see when Paul was preaching? preaching the gospel, he wasn't highlighting the gospel preaching with eternal conscious torment. He was highlighting the gospel preaching with the goodness of God and the forgiveness of sins, and he walked in love. And when he was walking in love, they did to him what they, what they did to Jesus. They, they tried to kill him, and they drag him out. And then Paul, like a boss, gets back up and goes back in the city and continues to preach the gospel, continues to preach the message. What message is he preaching? Your sins have been forgiven. Your God is for you, not against you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Hell, the way hell has been taught, hell, uh, as it's been taught today, the eternal conscious torment comes from a literal misread of parables that were incredibly hyperbolic. Hyperbolic, meaning he, that Jesus used, um, he used very large and, and, and exaggerated language to drive home points. Right? He, that's what he did. He used like this. Like if your hand's causing you to sin, what did Jesus tell you to do to your hand? Do you think Jesus really wanted you to cut your hand off? Man, every teenage boy in the world would be in trouble, y'all. See, y'all just went there, right? Talking about hell, why not? (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Do you think Jesus was actually advocating mutilation? No, but he says it's better to do that than to enter into hell with everything. Now, he wasn't talking about eternal conscious torment, because what does cutting off your physical hand have to do with suffering and in a spiritual eternity? Think about it. I know some of y'all are like, I'm, I'm done. All right. And so, so it comes from a literal misreading of hyperbolic parables that Jesus did and warnings from Jesus um, that he gave to the, the most, the, the, the enemies of, of God's love and grace. It was the, the people who said that the way to God is about what I can do. It's about operating and obeying the laws. It's about doing this. It's about doing that. It's, it's about what I can do. It, you know, we want a Messiah who's going to come in and help us overthrow Rome. And that's where, if you go back and you look at it, I challenge you to go back and look at it, look at what he's countering. He's countering this mindset that says if you continue to live a violent life, you're going to find yourself in this place called hell. Now, what hell was he talking about? And we'll get there. It's also... We've gathered this also because of the the different words in the Bible that have been translated or blanket translated as as hell. You see, Jesus' use of hell and judgment was always directed to the religious zealots who had the idea of God's kingdom and it involved violence, not love. Even the most used parable that that people use to validate hell like this, and the parable that I kind of pulled some of my... Top five reasons hell is going to stink from. That parable is misread and misunderstood, but it's one of the number one parables used over and over again to validate this idea of hell. And I'm going to to read it to you. I'm going to take you there in Luke chapter 16. We're almost done. I so promise you're you going to get out here by eight. I promise. I know it went long tonight, but it's so good and it's important. Amen? Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a, a certain rich man. Everybody say rich man hear me out. I'm going to help you see some things you've never seen before. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously. That's a good word. Every day. Go next. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Y'all say Lazarus. Notice what he said. Did the rich man have a name? Nope. Who had a name? The beggar. Watch, So, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, at the rich man's gate. Keep going, it says, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was, so it was that the beggar died and was carried uh, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now watch, and, in, and being in torments. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off. Who did he see? Who did he see? Abraham. Who is the central figure in this? Abraham. Not God, but Abraham. Now watch. It says, in being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus was in his bosom. Now watch. It says, "And, and then he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, who's he talking to? Abraham, have mercy on me and send who? Lazarus, that he may dip his tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you're tormented. Watch. And beside all this between you and, uh, and you, us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Let's go back. If this was talking about heaven, first of all, for those who want to come to you cannot. Do you think that that's much of a heaven where I can see the person I love being tormented forever for, for those who want to can come, but they, they can't. There's a golf fix. Now watch what it says. Watch. And beside all of this between us, there's a great golf fix so that uh, those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and nor can those from there pass to us. Now watch. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, who? Talking to Abraham. Amen. Amen. We're talking to Abraham, that you would send him, who is he talking about? Send who? Lazarus to my father's house. Watch, watch, watch. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have what? Moses and they have the prophets. Now it makes sense why Abraham is the one referencing this, right? Because the audience that Jesus is talking to are the religious leaders who are swearing up and down that the way to live is by the law of God, and Jesus is overturning that. He's causing them to rethink. And he goes on and says, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Watch. And he said, no, Father Abraham. Who is he talking to? But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now watch, watch, watch. Go ahead. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one raised from the. He's talking about himself. That whole gospel, that whole, I mean, that whole story right there, sorry, the parable right there, was highlighting the very kingdom of heaven that Jesus came and said, I want you to start rethinking. I want you to start rethinking. The kingdom of God is paradoxical in that in that it doesn't look like our kingdom, right? If you're going to be great, you're going to be the least. And if you're going to be first, you're going to be last, right? That's kind of how it. you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life from me, you'll gain it. That's, that's the kingdom of heaven. And, and he said, listen, this whole thing, he's talking to the audience. He's helping them see a very uh, important uh, illustration. He said the kingdom doesn't look like the kingdom you think it looks like. It looks like this, where the weak.'" And those, blessed are those who are poor, right? They inherit, right? Hang in there, guys, a few more minutes. He helped them rethink their idea of what's this thing is about. That story has been revised. It, can't, it was around longer than, than, than be, it was around before Jesus. That parable of Lazarus and man. it was a, a story that was changed up so many different times in Jewish literature. You can go back and find it. And Jesus used to highlight the point and he put an exclamation point on the end of it and said, if y'all aren't believing the believe in the law that says, love God, love others, if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe me when I raise from the dead. This was not about hell. This is not where you get your theology of hell. This is where you get your theology for the kingdom of God and how it works. So so the word hell right here, it's been translated. The word hell has been uh, used to translate four different words, guys. Here we go. Tartarus. It was used to translate Tartarus, which is a holding place for fallen angels. It was used Hell was used uh, for the word Sheol. All throughout the Old Testament, the word Sheol, it just literally meant the grave. Jewish people in the Old Testament had zero concept of afterlife. They knew when you die, you went to the grave, and that's where you stayed. They believed your soul was the breath that you had, right? God breathed life into Adam, and when, when you lo- lost your breath, when your breath left your body, you, your body died. It just laid there. You're, you're gone, so they refer to Sheol, but that was translated hell. The word Hades has been used over and over again. It's translated in hell, particularly in, in the King James, New King James, and uh, other translations. The word Hades. And the word Hades, listen to me, the word Hades means not seen. In other words, we don't know what's after that point, not seen. Later on, it was absorbed. It absorbed the meaning from Greek mythology, which was the language spoken there in the culture, and and the god Hades, who ruled the underworld, was then attached to this idea of hell. Are y'all tracking with me? So even now, you'll hear people say, people who don't have no concept say, well, the devil rules hell. Do you know where they got that from? Greek mythology. Last one, Gehenna. Gehenna is another word that's been translated as hell, and Gehenna is not a place in the afterlife, the, the word Gehenna there is literally a, it's an actual place south of Jerusalem. And if you go and study it out in the Old Testament, it was the very location that Israel would go and sacrifice their kids to Moloch and Baal. They offered, sac- it is a, is a horrible place. Many wars were fought there. A lot of people's lives were lost there. And I'm, I'm digging it. I, in, in 70 AD, remember, we talked about a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I said when, when Rome came in and destroyed Israel and destroyed uh, the temple and killed, uh, it was ridiculous, like a million people in that, that deal. You know what they did with their bodies? They brought them outside the city walls to this place called Gehenna, and it became the dump site where they lit fires and it burned forever. Now, not forever, forever, but a long period of time. So, I know it's an info dump. I'm, I'm, I'm really done. I promise, like a minute, thirty seconds. Cool. I know y'all thinking. All right, here he goes. Here it is. Here it is. There are three primary views that the church holds in regards to hell. Three primary views. You ready? Eternal conscious torment. That's this idea that you are tormented forever after the judgment. There is another view called annihilationism. Some of us probably have never heard of these before, but it's, there are views that are held by the church. Annihilationism, that is where after judgment, you are burned up in the fire. That's it. You, you cease to exist. The third one would be ultimate reconciliation. And that would be that the fire of God's love burns off everything that is horrible and and, and unholy about your life and the end result of that judgment is being reconciled back to him. Those are the three main views of hell. Most of us only heard one. Then you have the Catholic view of hell, which is a combination of two. It's a combination of eternal conscious torment because they believe that some people are going to be in hell forever but it's also also a combination of ultimate reconciliation because they believe in this place called purgatory where you can actually be paid out or prayed out and go to heaven. That's their view of hell. So, so, here's what I'm not saying. Hear me. I'm not saying you can't believe in hell. You can believe in whatever hell you want to believe in. That is your right. You can absolutely do that. And if you believe in a different hell than I believe in, that's okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. You can believe what you want to believe. I'm not saying that I don't believe in the hell. I'm not saying that. I don't believe in the hell that a lot of people believe in church. that We've been taught eternal conscious torment. But I have an idea of what hell would look like, a particular type of hell. You know what a great place to talk about that would be? Digging deeper. Y'all are like, we're here. All of y'all are like, we're here. What I am saying is this, though. This is what I am saying. I am saying that escaping a place of eternal conscious torment is not, nor has never been a part of the gospel message. Never has. Never has. Never has. That's a good spot to end. All right, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you guys and let you go. I so went so long tonight, but it was good. Give me an amen somebody. All right, here we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, Lord. I thank you, God, that you have given us a lot to chew on because I talked for a really long time. And, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are stirring in our hearts. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that just like we did at the beginning of this series, God, that we would be anchored to Jesus Christ that we will be anchored to Jesus Christ because in Christ is life. And it's only through Christ that we can know who you really are. And so, Lord, let us put on our Jesus lens, our Jesus filter, as we continue to go and study these scriptures out, and let us weigh them, let us weigh them against Christ. Father, we thank you, we love you, we worship you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us in person. And those of you who tuned in online, thank you so much for hanging out with us as well. Again, don't forget Digging Deeper Wednesday night in person right here at the church, 630. Or you can jump on the Zoom link. We'll get that Zoom link out here uh, pretty soon. All right, guys, have a great night.